Good evening. Let's read Psalm 133, which starts on the very bottom of page 625 in the Bibles, or should be coming up on the screen. So Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Thank you very much for your welcome. Um, I, I was last here in February, the, the Sunday after Phil left, and a couple of weeks later, um, if you remember, the, the Sunday after the beginning of the Ukraine war, um, two very significant times, and kind of aware uh, of being here this evening, just a short while before Nick arrives. It was really good a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, to interview Nick um, as part of a preparation for writing a review of his book, 12 Things That God Can't Do. And uh, I certainly warmed to him, and I'm sure that you will warm to him as well. And uh, in the spirit of that um, psalm that we've just read together, it's, um, it's good to welcome a brother to, to serve here in this place, someone who's involved, like I am, in the Sussex Gospel Partnership, and to, to have um, friendship and fellowship in the gospel. Um, you, um, you're highly blessed to, um, to have a man like that coming to you. Make, make the most of it. Oh, so here we've got a picture. Yes. Now, unity and togetherness is a really important thing. Earlier in the, the summer, it was the lionesses rather than the lions who brought football and brought football home, who managed to win a, a major tournament for the first time in over 50 years for the wrong-shaped ball, as perhaps Phil might have, um, might have said. And it was striking, wasn't it? Uh, that's probably a pun, isn't it? It was striking that the football team um, managed to work together so well as a unit and to be able to achieve, um, as I said, what the men could not achieve. But of course, by contrast, at the same time, and it's still kind of going on, um, there has been the, the campaign for the election of a new leader of the Conservative Party, which... Um, doesn't seem to have the same well-oiled sense of oneness um, about it. And I think um, it's a classic case in point, something that the psalm in verse 1 wants to stress, is that when there is um, unity amongst God's people, when there is a movement together in harmony in any setting, it can be a beautiful thing. But when that doesn't happen, it can be a really ugly thing. And of course, um, that's true in sport. It's true in politics. It can be true in the church. Churches can be the best places to be around, and sometimes they can be the worst places to be around. Sometimes Christian people can be the most lovely, welcoming reliable, faithful people you'll ever meet. Sometimes, of course, they can be a monumental pain in the neck. 
So we need this verse, um, verse 1 of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, because relationships are crucial within the life of the church. Relationships are crucial in the way that human beings operate, the way the world goes round. We have been made by the relational God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God makes us in his own image. And one of the aspects of that image, maybe the chief sense of that image, is that we relate. We relate to God and we relate to each other. That's what it is to be a creature of the living God, the creator. We reflect the fact that he is the community God. And that is reflected in our relationships in the church, our relationships in our families as well. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. There are some things, aren't there, which um, are good, but are not necessarily pleasant. Maybe as a child you were given cod liver oil. Apparently good for you, um, like sprouts and all other forms of greens, but not necessarily pleasant. There are many things in life that are really pleasant, but are not necessarily always good for you. They usually involve kind of cream and large amounts of chocolate. But here is something which is both good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. Someone has said that no Christian is an only child. There is inevitably a corporate element in being a Christian. A Christian is someone who is related to God and related to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there are situations around the world where there are solo believers because of persecution and so on. But usually they're very desperate to meet other Christians. And often they'll do that perhaps through the means of radio or, or, or television broadcasts because they realize that although they're on their own, they don't thrive well on their own. And they're thriving. They want to thrive and they're longing to have connection. It is good for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, when you read the, the Bible and you read Bible words, it's amazing how those words evoke memories. And when you read the word good, you remember that that's how the Bible begins. It tells us that when God made things, he said they were good. And then eventually, when he made human beings, he said they were very good. It's interesting that the thing that God said was not good in Genesis 2 uh, was that it's not good that the man should be alone. It is good for brothers to dwell together in unity. A very good thing. And we ought to be very much aware of the need within a local church, this local church, as you stand at the beginning of a new season, a, a new leader coming to the church here. There ought to be a sense that we, we want that which is good for the church. The mention of the word brothers reminds us of how brotherliness plays out 
in Scripture. The first two brothers, Cain and Abel, it ended up in tears. One of them laying on the floor in a pool of blood. The famous brothers, made famous by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jacob's sons, look what they did to Joseph. Look at the, um, the rivalry between them as brothers. Think of Jacob and Esau and their rivalry. Think of the suspicion of David's seven brothers when David began to get a little bit too close to the action when they were fighting the Philistines. Brothers don't always necessarily get on. I don't know whether, you know, you had brothers. Um, I've got a friend who's got five sons. And that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Not, you know, it's a challenge to fit them all in a car, certainly. But when they're in the car, it's a challenge to keep them all at peace with each other. Sometimes with brothers, I'm reminded of what was said about the former Chelsea captain, Dennis Wise. That man could start a fight in an empty room. And that can be true of some of the brothers that we have experienced. It can sometimes be true of the brothers and sisters within the local church. There are within local churches awkward customers, people who are a little bit angular, people who who like a bit of a fight, who like to kind of speak up and speak loud, who like to win, who like to have the last word. Brothers, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, not taking lumps out of each other, not competing with each other, but dwelling with each other in fellowship and unity. What's it like? Well, the psalmist says it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, at first sight, that seems like a really messy image. Although on this Formula One day, the winning team, of course, will celebrate by shaking up a a huge magnet of champagne and spraying it over all of its team, which also sounds pretty messy. But it's a celebration of a united effort to win a race. It's an expression of their gladness. There is something celebratory about this idea of oil pouring down on the head, pouring down on the beard, on Aaron's beard, down onto the collar of his robe. What a remarkable thing that is. Aaron would have had a special breastplate, and on the breastplate there would have been the the, the jewels that were symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel. What's happening here is the oil pouring down on the head of Aaron, pouring down on his beard and going down to his collar and then to his breastplate is an image of this celebratory oil of joy and gladness pouring all over symbolic presence of the whole people of God. The oil pouring down and anointing Aaron and anointing all. Of course, in the 
the New Testament, we have that amazing image, don't we, of the, the woman who comes with very precious and expensive oil and pours it on the head of Jesus, filling the room with the expensive perfume. A celebration, a beautiful thing, Jesus calls it. And it is a beautiful thing when brothers live together in unity, brothers and sisters in the life of the church. It is beautiful. And we want to have a beautiful church. We want to have a group of people that display the beauty of Jesus, this oil-like substance that is poured out and spreads all over the head and the beard and spreads out to the whole of the people of God. Every Sunday, we want people to say, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here with these people. I'm glad I'm with this family. The church is a great place to be. These are my brothers and sisters. There is no better place to be, and there's nowhere else I would like to be. It's also like, he says, the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Now, today I kind of walked over the green near Lansing Tab on my way to the church, and for the first time um, this summer, the grass was wet enough to dampen the, the toes of my, my shoes. That hasn't been the case, has it, over these many, many dry weeks. One of the things that happens when you walk up in the downs um, is you can get really wet first thing in the morning because of the heaviness of the dew. In, um, in Israel, um, much of the moisture comes from dew rather than rain. That's the way that they're able to be fertile in places like Mount Hermon. But the remarkable thing uh, that the psalmist says here is that it's as if the dew of Hermon, which was a really verdant, fertile place, was falling on Mount Zion, a place that had no independent water supply, a place that was generally dry. It was as if the, the dew of the verdant place was falling on the dry place. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. It just shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening that this abundant, refreshing moisture is falling in a dry place. And of course, when we begin to think about the church of Jesus Christ, it really shouldn't work. We can understand how certain clubs work. Because clubs work on the basis that you join with other people who are like you. You join with people who are of the same class, have the same interests, same status in life. That's what a club is like. But the church is not a club, is it? The church is a place where they'll let anyone in. Whether you've got a tie on or not, whatever school you went to, whatever color of your skin, whatever your age, you can be included because the church is a brilliant place. God's invented a place that's far better than any club. It's a place where anyone is welcome. No one need to feel excluded. What an amazing thing that is. So the unity of the church brings opposites together. It brings us into a place which is 
amazing. Do you believe in the church? The church of Jesus Christ, when God brings together his people in one place, is astonishing. The, the possibilities of a group of people like this in Hove, actually, is astonishing. Under God's hand. A mighty army, a beautiful bride. Emma Scrivener, whose husband is an evangelist, Glenn Scrivener, in Eastbourne, has struggled in life with eating disorders and self-loathing and self-harm. And in one of her books, she writes about the importance of the church, the importance of the people of God in her life and her well-being. She writes about 30 things, and we're going to mention these very quickly. 30 things, 30 reasons why the church is important to her. It's a place where you remember the past. It's a place to let go of the past. Because I can't love God until I know that he loves me. To be connected. To quiet my soul. To wake me up from my self-absorption. To know who I am and where I belong. Because the Bible tells us it's vital. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews chapter 10. God's intention is to draw people together. To connect people. That they relate to each other. Not to push people apart. To reflect on my weak and see it through God's eyes. To gain hope and strength for what is ahead and for what has been. To learn how to live. To learn how to die. Because the church is less when I'm not there. Because I need my family around me. Because others' words to my soul are more powerful than my own. Because we are united in Jesus. So that I can share my burdens and carry those of others. To see what God is doing in other people. To be challenged. Because the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Because my gifts are for the church and not for me. Because I need reminding that God is big and powerful. Because I need reminding that God became small and weak. Because we're not the same and I forget that. Because we're not so different, and I forget that too. Because I have a lot of questions and a lot of mess for the singing and the stories as a witness to the world. Because everyone belongs. Because church refocuses me and helps me to see life as it really is. She says, don't give up on church. Um, she said that in her darkest moments, when she didn't want to see anyone, she didn't want to relate to anyone, she convinced herself that she should not give up on church because that was not a place that threatened her. It was a place that beckoned her. It was a place of potential healing and wholeness and wellness. It was a good place. It was a safe place. That's the way the church should be, isn't it? That's the vision of Psalm 133. And truly that's the desire of people at BH, isn't it? That the church should be a place that people feel 
safe and glad to be in. A place not of vulnerability, but a place of security and joy and blessing. And of course, the blessing in conclusion there in verse three, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forever more. There's an amazing sense in this psalm of what God is giving. God is giving um, a blessing when people come together, like oil on the head, like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It's all about God moving towards his people and bringing blessing to them. A flourishing life. A life which is fertile and, and green and, and blessed. Not, not shriveling and, and dry and barren. It's always, isn't it, when we think about blessing, a movement from God to us, a movement from above to us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's always God moving towards us and enriching and enlivening. The blessing of God always makes us spiritually rich and adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of life forever more. This is a precious gift, isn't it? To be part of the people of God, to be part of the community of faith. I'm so glad I'm here, one other Psalm writer said in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I just love meeting God's people. They're my people because they're God's people. We think about brother. There's a statement in Proverbs that says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What makes church work? What brings church together? What makes the body a living body? is our elder brother, Jesus Christ. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What is certainly true is however good our church is, sometimes we'll feel let down by our church and let down by people who are in it. Someone said about Jesus that the friendship he offers us is so very different. Jesus, the true friend, lets us in, but never lets us down. Jesus is the brother, the friend who is closer than a brother. He lets us in, but never, never, never lets us down. We disappoint others, and we're disappointed by others, but Jesus never Never, never disappoints us. So here's a psalm about unity and the importance of unity. And we're reminded that Jesus, our elder brother, in his final prayer and the final words of his final prayer, prayed about this very subject. There in John chapter 17, verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also that those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as 
You are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There is something beautiful, isn't there, about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And Jesus prays that that beauty will spill out into the community of those who trust him. Because he knows that there is a compelling beauty, an apologetic beauty, an attractional beauty in the group of people that are brought together by the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many people who stop coming to church because of the church. There are many people who find it very difficult to believe because of the church. The mission of the church in Hove and anywhere else is to be a church that is so manifestly beautiful that people want to believe in Jesus and they want to be part of this enterprise, the best enterprise in the whole universe. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I think if you keep that in mind as Nick comes and pray that that will happen, this will be a beautiful place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the fact that we're able to come into your presence and call upon your name together. We thank you for Jesus who loved the church and gave himself for it. We thank you for his desire as the perfect husband to beautify his bride that the bride might be without spot or wrinkle. Father, we're conscious that there are things in our character and there are things in our local community as a church that sometimes work against your beauty being seen. Father, we pray for this church as they're on the edge of a, a new season and a new ministry here, that you'll be pleased to draw the people of God here together that they might be brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity, experiencing your blessing, that they might become like a magnet to an unbelieving world who want what they have, who want to know the one that they worship. Pour out, we pray, your spirit like oil, on their heads. Pour out your spirit, we pray, like dew on the dry ground. May this be a place that flourishes for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.